Good morning, everyone. This is Jeffy Kennedy, author of Epic Fantasy Romance. I'm here with my first cup of coffee. Ambrosia. Lovely morning here in Santa Fe today on Thursday, May 19th. Yes. I was just wondering if I titled the podcast correctly because I always title with the date and um, fortunately I did. (sighs) So um, lots going on here tonight. We kick off the events for Nebula Conference. Mentoring happens this evening. Everything is in place. Everything's come together I believe. Um. Yeah. Events tomorrow. How's the book coming along? They say <laughs> they ask Jeffy. It's coming. It's coming. Um, I have got uh, 83,600 words and I've, so I've got like 15,000 to go. Um, doable. We'll see how much time I have for that out loud proof. Fortunately, I do write pretty clean. So if I have to upload a uh, penultimate version, I could do that um, and fix the commas after. Knowing that I'm not going to have it proofed, I have been paying more attention to like instead of hunting on lay lie laid. I've been actually checking. Although I think I have it right now. The one that I don't get is each other and one another and I'm not sure anybody actually cares. Other than the grammarians. So uh, theoretically I can finish it right now. Things are an utter disaster and I don't know how they're going to get themselves out of it. Uh, <laughs> but there's a possibility that the book will just end with them all dying. <laughs> and then they all died. I mean I can understand why Shakespeare did that sometimes. It's like yeah and then they all died. <laughs> so much easier. In fact I Well, I've said this before, but I think that the people who go for the tragic ending instead of trying to figure out how to make a romance end happily when they think that they're being so terribly clever and like, oh, I'm going to write a romance except it ends tragically. It's like actually the tragic ending is the easy ending. It's um, super easy to have everybody die or everything not work out. It's much more difficult to figure out how the fuck are they going to get themselves out of this situation. So I guess we'll find out won't we. Uh, There's a panel I want to see tomorrow at 10 my time. The first sequence of panels for the conference but then I will um actually there's two at 10 but they'll all be recorded so I can watch them later as well. It's fun to watch stuff uh, in person because of the chat role and everything. You could talk to people. 
and I see my peonias about to bloom. Oh, it's so pretty. Glowing pink. So, so yeah, quite a lot going on the next couple of days. Did you guys see, I might link to it, the trailer for the Nebula award ceremony? Amazing, amazing people worked on that. And it just gives me a shiver of delight because I can't take any credit for the actual work, but you guys, you have no idea what I went through to get that to happen the way that it happened. Uh, and I don't feel like I can talk about it necessarily, but Neil Gaiman, me, I got him there. Other people helped me many thanks to the people that helped me and connected me. Um, but for, for reasons that are too arcane and absurd to explain, and besides which it would be impolitic, I had to fight to have Neil Gaiman be our Toastmaster in the way that he is. And it's going to be awesome. And I'm just so happy so happy with how it turned out. So that's often I find the role of people in leadership, which sounds kind of funny for me to say in leadership, but you know, is that if you're doing it right, you step back and, and you don't trumpet your credit like I'm doing right now, but you know, it's, it's the other people who do the actual work, but sometimes that work of being the one determined to have a thing happen and fighting for it and fighting people who don't want it to happen. That just takes a lot sometimes. And it's work that's not always noticed by people, which is fine. Um, but it is an interesting thing to me. I have to show you guys I have my nebula nails. Oh, here's a little ray of sunshine. If you're on video, I am um, got, they're sort of a deep blue purple with gold sparklies nebula nails. Um, what else was I going to say on that? Oh, on the, the leadership thing. <laughs> so I had one funny, you guys know that if you've been listening to me for a very, very long time, cause I don't think I've brought it up recently that I think that as human beings, one of the things we have to combat is ego is the um, overweening ego, the dominating ego. Um, and that's partly my Taoist perspective. Uh, Taoists are very much, um, anti-ego. You can't be one with the Tao if you are <laughs> filled with ego. And I, th- think ego drives a whole lot of negative behavior. So I work very hard not to be egotistical, not to um, let my ego take over. And it's funny in some ways because it's this balance between not letting the ego run everything, but also taking credit for stuff. So quite a long time ago, uh, my very favorite professor from college, professor David Hottis, who was 
the one who is the non-practicing Orthodox Jew, if you get that joke, my religious studies professor, uh, amazing man, huge influence on me. And he was, he was dying. He got colon cancer and he decided which and this was very true to who he was that he would not get radiation or chemotherapy. He had the surgery but he didn't want to have any of the other treatment because he wanted to spend his last days in the classroom uh, doing what he loved best what he was so good at and so oh I'm going to get a little verklempt talking to about him. So I organized a thing where we had a kind of a memorial service for him while he was still alive and I worked with my university Washington University in St. Louis and a bunch of my old friends and we worked with the alumni office and contacted as many people as possible who had been as students you know they gave us the records and I emailed everybody it was early days of email you know and invited people to come and say nice things about him and it was a really cool thing to do and the university dedicated this um one of the salons one of the I don't know teaching halls to him they put that put his name on it and it was just we all went back to St. Louis it was really lovely weekend. It was funny because like some people that I emailed got so mad about me emailing them. Almost everyone was nice but a few people were like take me off of this mailing list and it's like did you even read the email dipshit anyway early days of email it would probably be harder to do now only illegitimate spammers are allowed to email people anymore. So uh this one gal did uh I don't even remember she was a reporter and she was doing an article I don't think it was for the student newspaper it might have been for the St. Louis Post Dispatch I don't remember what paper but anyway she called me up uh to interview me about the event and so we talked about what was going on and everything and she was asking me about me and she said um she said well I understand that you organized this event and I said well uh, a great many people worked on this event and she said oh okay (laughs) and then there was like no mention of me in the article at all it was like I I very effectively erased myself which was actually fine because I wanted it to be about him and I'd said that to her several times you know that this is to celebrate Professor Hottis. Um, but at the same time I was like oh note to self about giving away all credit um you know it's uh because people people will let you do it. So I don't really remember how I got off on that whole thing oh just like leadership credit stuff and that sort of thing um yeah a lot of things with nebula conference and ceremony were things that I that I masterminded or set into motion uh but everybody else did all the work and they were fabulous and everybody will be very glad to have the work done with because it's been a lot and then next year we will be doing the hybrid conference uh that'll be exciting won't it back in person 
So uh, the other thing I wanted to talk about is this funny thing about people not being aware of of the order of things of the precedence of naming. And the reason this came up was uh, my friend posted a picture of purple columbine uh, blooming in her garden and one of her family members who lives across the country said oh I love those purple and white flowers and I messaged my friend and because it made me laugh uh, and, and I, <laughs> I said it made me laugh that she called the columbine purple and white flowers. So and I totally get this as a regional thing you know like that people on the east coast may have never seen columbine but I'm a Colorado girl by birth or not by birth exactly but certainly by uh, nativity. Uh, my mother was born there. Stepfather was born there. I grew up there. Hometown of Denver. Columbine is the state flower purple Columbine. Uh, and so it was funny to me that somebody would not recognize the flower. And I mean maybe just it's so pervasive here but also you know it's like people who know nothing about the American West right and it is a pretty flower. So and she replied back and said yes that um, when she and her son were skiing that there was a trail called Columbine and her son who's a teenager said it's really sad that they named a trail after that town where all of those kids died. <laughs> so this is the perspective partly of youth and partly of people who've grown up in a digital world that they're not aware of the order of history. So in case you don't follow that whole thing probably most of you do but he was referring to the massacre at Columbine High School which took place in Denver it was not a town but Columbine High School. Columbine High School of course named for the state flower of Colorado and lots of mountains around here have Columbine this or that because it's a flower that grows everywhere here right. I have tons of yellow Columbine in my garden blooming right now. I should take a picture and of one of them put it on the show notes because the peony is not ready for full viewing anyway. So it's just it's it's just a really funny thing and I've noticed it happen a lot um, and I can't think of the books but like when people pick an older property and say oh and I, I don't think this was the exact one but um, like the one the, that I pulled out an example for her was Wizard of Oz like when people complained that the Wizard of Oz rips off Harry Potter or some of these older fantasy works rip off Harry Potter and it's funny because when I first read Harry Potter I thought it was incredibly derivative of previous fantasy works but once something becomes very large it supersedes everything else and and there's also the wherever someone first encounters a piece of information a story a name then that becomes first in their mind regardless of precedent. Uh, it's a funny thing. And this was making me think too which is 
just sort of a sideline, but I was uh, thinking about how someone had asked me a long time ago. Um, and it was someone who was young and they were asking me about your song by Elton John and Bernie Toppin. And they said, why do you think he says, um, but then again, no, in the song, why, why would he do that? And I said, well, it's, it's meant to reflect, you know, they're like, why, why wouldn't he just change it in the song if he, if he changed his mind? And I said, well, it's meant to be like this conversational tone, uh, and it's meant to transmit his sense of, of uncertainty and insecurity by having that in the lyrics. And they said, no, I don't think that's it. I think he just made the mistake and didn't change it. I was like, no, I don't think that's what happened. But for some reason that song's already, that conversation's always stuck with me. And I was thinking about Jim Croce's song where he says, I'll have to say, I love you in a song. And it starts out with, I know it's kind of late. I hope I didn't wake you. Um, there's, I didn't look up the date on this one. I, I, well, let me go back. I was wondering which of those came first. And the answer is, is Elton John and Bernie Toppin. Uh, that song was 1970. Jim Croce's was 1973. Um, a lot of names I'm going to have to fix in the transcript. Sorry if I don't get them all. And then there's, oh, why can't I think of the band? Um, I'm leaving on a jet plane has a similar thing where addressing the person and the song where they say, um, oh, now I have to look. It's not letting me pause. Funny that song was written by John Denver. I didn't realize that I was thinking of someone else, uh, singing it. Maybe you guys will remember cause I'm not going to keep researching it, but anyway, uh, he says the same sort of thing in there as in, um, I hate to wake you up to say goodbye. And what year was that? Oh, Peter, Paul and Mary. That's who I was thinking of, um, singing it. Okay. Hold on. Okay. So that was 1966, which I should remember because that's the year I was born. So anyway, this person who I can't even remember who they are, I want to go back and expand on the explanation and say that this was part of a songwriting trend in the apparently late sixties through the early seventies of having having lyrics that were more conversational and directed, um, to a particular person. We could probably do a whole essay on this. And if you want to take that up for your uh, thesis, you're welcome to do so. So, um, I'm going to go on my way and get some stuff done. Wish me luck. (laughs) Uh, if I kill off all the characters, will you forgive me? (laughs) Uh, all right. Um, I hope you all have a fabulous Thursday and I will talk to you tomorrow. I'll do my podcast tomorrow. What the hell? It's only, it's only time (laughs) you all take care.
Bye-bye.